Welcome to NKF's Kidney Policy Podcast, where we break down the complicated world of kidney care and discuss policy ideas to improve it. This podcast is a project of the National Kidney Foundation, the largest, most comprehensive, and long-standing patient-centric organization dedicated to the awareness, prevention, and treatment of kidney disease in the United States. Today, I am thrilled to be joined by Morgan Reed, the Director of Transplant Policy and Strategy here at NKF. She's a living organ transplant recipient and has also worked for several organ procurement organizations and transplant centers. So she has a unique perspective from multiple points in the transplant system. So while there's a ton that we can talk about regarding transplant, today I do just want to do a quick overview of how the system works, Uh, who are the players, and give some light touches to some of the hot topics going on, um, because there is actually a lot going on right now in the transplant system that we can do a deeper dive on after we cover some of the bases in this podcast. So, um, Morgan, thank you so much for joining us today. And can you start out with just kind of a quick explanation of the current kidney transplant system? Lauren, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here to chat with you today. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. So individuals with irreversible kidney failure and end-stage kidney disease require kidney dialysis or a kidney transplant to survive. A transplant is the preferred treatment modality for most patients, but only about, I would say, 15% of patients receive a kidney. Transplantation provides a better quality of life than dialysis, definitely. As you shared with everyone, I am a kidney recipient. My best friend in college donated her kidney to me 15 years ago. But before receiving my transplant, I was on peritoneal dialysis for almost two years. So I would say the key players for sure are going to be nephrologists, dialysis uh, nurses, and, and social workers. When you are referred to a transplant center, you're going to work with transplant coordinators, transplant social workers, There are um, finance people that help you navigate the insurance piece. And of course, there's transplant nephrologists, transplant surgeons that patients talk to. So there's a whole clinical team of people that are involved in the transplant process that help to get you through uh, your transplant journey. And just a point of clarification, so most patients, they will have a nephrologist uh, treating their kidney disease. They've been working with this nephrologist the whole time. Do you then get a separate nephrologist specifically for transplant? Yes. So you have your general nephrologist or whoever has been caring for you, helping you manage your kidney disease. And, you know, different from the nephrologist that's helping you with your dialysis process. When you go through the transplant system, When you're referred to a transplant center, yes, there are transplant nephrologists that specialize, or I should say there are nephrologists that specialize in transplantation. And yes, you'll have two. You'll have your general nephrologist that's caring for you pre-transplant. And then as you're kind of navigating the, the transplant process, there is a transplant nephrologist there to evaluate you, examine you, answer your questions. But post transplant, you are cared for by a transplant nephrologist. And in a perfect world, they would work together to to manage your care. So because the thing is, is once a patient receives a transplant, yes, the transplant center is going to oversee your care for a certain period of time. But the hope is to be able to transition patients back to their referring nephrologist. 
So can you talk a little bit, what are the steps? So someone can be referred for transplant while they're undergoing dialysis. Some people get referred to transplant just at the beginning. They are just doing their dialysis during the waiting period. And some people get a preemptive referral before they're even on dialysis. Can you talk a little bit about how somebody would get that transplant referral and then what happens after they get the referral? Yes. So it depends on how savvy and engaged a nephrologist is in their patient's care and their understanding of the transplant process. Someone that's receiving a preemptive transplant has a nephrologist that is very aware that this patient is approaching end-stage renal or kidney disease, and they are eventually going to need either a transplant to survive or dialysis to stay alive until they receive their transplant. And because kidney transplant is the gold standard when it comes to remedying or um, fixing end-stage renal disease or end-stage kidney disease, their nephrologist will just make the referral to the transplant so that that patient will skip the dialysis process altogether. Then you have patients that have to begin dialysis. They're too far down the line of their kidney disease process that preemptive transplant is not an option for them. They need dialysis. So they will begin dialysis and Hopefully from that point, once that patient gets settled on dialysis and they're receiving the health care that they need to um, remain healthy enough for transplant, at that point, that is when a nephrologist should be referring their patient to transplant. The realities are, though, Lauren, as I've stated earlier, is that there are so many patients that are on dialysis that receive late referrals for transplant or unfortunately don't receive referrals to transplantation at all. Understood. And I also want to touch on, you mentioned about having to remain healthy enough for your transplant while you're on dialysis. So can you talk a little bit about what what does that mean? What's going on there that, you know, the patient isn't just like waiting around on dialysis. There's other things that they're also managing. Absolutely. So I will be the first to say that I am not clinical. However, having gone through this process, having worked for a transplant center, patients need to be healthy enough to receive a transplant. Before anybody receives any kind of surgery, whether it's transplant surgery or not, you have to be in a healthy enough state to undergo such um, an important and massive surgery. For example, before a patient undergoes transplant surgery, they need to make sure that their cardiologist clears it to make sure that their heart is healthy enough to undergo surgery. And there's other testing that patients will have to go as undergo as well. Labs need to be drawn to make sure that they are in, again, just checking to make sure they're in the best health possible before going into transplant surgery. Okay, great. So let's talk a little bit about you know, your, your options when you are waiting for your transplant. So we know that um, right now with the technology we have, your options are a deceased donation. So someone, you know, has said on their license that they want to be an organ donor or someone has unfortunately passed away and their family has decided that they'd like to give the gift of life and have their loved one be an organ donor. 
Your other option is a living donation. Uh, humans are born with two kidneys. We really only need one healthy one to survive. So there are wonderful people out there who do living donations uh, and they donate their second kidney to someone who needs it. Can you talk a little bit more about what the difference is, you know, for a patient perspective of a living versus a deceased donation and a little bit about um, your experience in, in um, that, that space. Absolutely. So as of today, there's about 90,000 people. There are about 90,000 people in the United States awaiting a life-saving kidney transplant. And there are two pathways in which a person can receive a kidney. And as you mentioned, you could either receive a kidney through living donation or deceased donation. Let's talk about living donation first. My best friend in college donated her kidney to me again 15 years ago, January 9th. I celebrated my 15 year kidney anniversary. And living donation is when you find anyone, right? You're a family member, a friend uh, to donate a kidney to you. There are lots of people out there also who altruistically just call the transplant center and say, hey, I want to donate a kidney. And the transplant center will go through with um, the no a non-directed uh, kidney, living kidney donation. Amazing. It's a great gift. Um, there are good people out there. Donation just reminds you that there are people out there that are good, that just want to help. Then there's deceased donation. Throughout the country, there are organ procurement organizations. And every organ procurement organization, also known as an OPO, is responsible for recovering deceased organs. And so as you mentioned, Lauren, when there's a patient in the hospital that passes away, and it's a very unique way in which someone can donate a deceased kidney, it's usually a patient that's on an ICU that has passed away from a neurological injury. And as you mentioned, either that patient has indicated on their license that they would like to be an organ donor or their will, or their family member has said, yes, we would like to um, continue the legacy of our loved one by having them give the gift of life through donation. Yeah, that, that really explains, you know, what someone's options are. So I know NKF has the Big Ask, Big Give program where we do talk to patients and families about how to make that difficult ask of your friends and family. You know, when you are in need of a kidney, it's definitely... Uh, you know, it's a little bit more than just asking to borrow the car or share your pair of shoes. It's it's a bigger ask than that. So true. And if I can, I'm gonna let me just speak to that for a second. Um, depending on where you live in the United States, you can wait on the transplant list for a year, as you mentioned, two years, three years. But depending on where you are, if you're in a busy place like the Northeast, it could be seven years, eight years, nine years, ten years, even. But yes, you're right. Asking for a kidney is really difficult. And my advice to people would be, listen, people aren't mind readers. And you're only a patient in front of your doctor. Your family, your friends, they're not looking at you as patients. I would just advise everyone to let everyone know your need. And having worked for two different organ procurement organizations, I can tell you that it is a very delicate process when OPOs have to talk to families about organ donation. 
the timing has to be right. And, you know, you just can't walk in and talk to a family about donation. There's a lot of things that organ procurement organizations do along that process to make sure one, families are supported, two, offering them compassion, but again, making sure that the timing is right. And I'm sure people are thinking, well, the timing's never gonna be right. But no, it's all about timing. You can't talk to a family about donation until they fully understand that their loved one isn't here anymore. And OPOs typically don't talk to families about donation before a family really grasps that their loved one isn't going to get up and walk out of that hospital. It is a very nuanced process. And organ procurement organizations are usually, they usually understand how to approach different families that are coming from different walks of life. There are certain things that OPOs consider when they're talking to families and um, being culturally sensitive is really important. OPOs, they consider a person's religion, their cultural background, their ethnicity, and sometimes OPOs don't have the staff to talk to families about donations. So they'll bring in an imam to talk to a Muslim family, or they may need to bring in a rabbi to talk into a Jewish, to talk to a Jewish family about donation, just so that that family is getting the support that they need to get through that process. And whether they say yes or no to donation, organ procurement organizations usually are just wanting to make sure that one, families have the option, but they're supported through the process of making that decision. Great. Thank you. And so we've kind of covered the living donation and the deceased donation. And obviously, as I said, this is an overview podcast. There's a whole lot we can get into uh, about the intricacies of, of these things. I will mention really quickly that one of the things NKF is dedicated to is making sure we have more living donors out there and that the living donors we do have are supported and protected. So our Living Donor Protection Act is a bill that NKF is working on. We're really hoping uh, to move that in Congress. And that's a bill that prohibits um, discrimination in insurance against people who are living donors. Unfortunately, we know that some living donors, once they do uh, give that gift of life, unfortunately, they're uh, life insurance goes up or they have a problem getting life insurance, disability insurance, and long-term care insurance. So we've worked with the insurance industry uh, and this bill would help protect our living organ donors uh, against that kind of discrimination. So we are actively working on that. I also understand that while any donation, any transplant is better um, than, than living on dialysis for most patients. It's not for everyone, but most patients do say that they live a much longer and, and we know live a much longer and healthier life with their transplant. Living donation is even better than deceased donation for a lot of people. Can you talk about that? Yes. So the reason why living donation is better, I mean, from, again, prefacing with, I'm not clinical, but just having worked in this space before, and being someone who is the recipient of a living donor kidney, when you have a living donor, the transplant team is recovering a kidney from some, like the kidney is warm. It's going right out of your donor's body immediately into yours. Whereas with deceased donation, it's not uncommon for a kidney to go on ice and sometimes it and and you know it's transported from the donor hospital to wherever the recipient is and so you know there's more time out of the body 
You know, Lauren, one thing that I've heard people say about living donation is, well, who's going to pay for it? Do I have to pay for it? So one thing that I do want to clarify is that when someone is, you know, making the courageous decision to donate a kidney to someone, it is usually covered by the recipient's insurance. So there aren't many out-of-pocket costs for living donors. Anything that has to do with the donation is covered by the recipient's health care insurance. So I just wanted to share that with everyone on um, listening out there today. And there's also the National Living Donor Assistance Center, which, which helps living donors with things that might not be reimbursed or not be covered um, by their recipient's insurance. But yeah, that's a great point. And that's something actually let's talk about entirely. So transplant is covered under Medicare. Um, there is the ESRD, end-stage renal disease, Medicare benefit. And as a part of that, the cost of transplant um, is covered. And thanks to the comprehensive coverage for immunosuppressive drugs bill, which passed in 2020, and that is currently at OMB uh, for review, and it will hopefully be finalized soon, they're also covering their immunosuppressive drugs, uh, which is the important part once you get your transplant. Uh, and maybe you can talk a little bit about what does happen to you after you get your transplant and what are your responsibilities? Yeah. So after transplant, you're immunocompromised, right? You're immunosuppressed. You have this new beautiful gift, but it is foreign to your body. And so you don't want your body to attack your new kidney. And so, yes, we do take a lot of, and we kidney recipients take a lot of um, immunosuppression so that we aren't in a situation where our body is rejecting our kidney. It's really important to have healthcare coverage, prescription coverage, so that we have the ability to afford the medications that we need to continue living a happy, healthy life. So taking your medication is really important. Following up with your transplant center is really, really important to staying healthy. Eventually, again, you're transitioned back to your referring nephrologist and um, following up with those visits. If you're someone like me, I have developed type 2 diabetes post-transplant. So just staying on top of my diabetes management, working with my endocrinologist, I love sweets, but I have to know that like, I know that I have to curb my sweet tooth, but yeah, it's just really about managing your own health care, being an advocate for yourself, speaking up, but knowing, um, just being educated about what you need to do as a patient to take care of yourself. Absolutely. And I think, you know, anyone listening to this might be realizing like, you know, this is, this isn't just a singular you know, medical procedure, you know, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, we're done, don't have to worry about it. This is a life with a kidney that was not originally your own. And even the whole process of getting referred to transplant, getting through the referral process, getting the transplant, recovery, living with your transplant. This is something that even, you know, very intelligent, very well-resourced people will still have problems with. So can we talk a little bit about some of the disparities in who is getting these transplants and who is not and why not? Because there is uh, there is a problem in transplantation about where the kidneys are going, who is able to access them and who is not. So when we just when we consider social determinants of health, 
and we focus on health equity, yes, there there are communities that are disadvantaged when it comes to transplantation, underserved communities, rural communities. I think about those who are health illiterate. As you mentioned, you can be the savviest person and navigating the healthcare system is very difficult. But if you have someone that doesn't know what to ask, they don't understand how kidney disease works. They don't really understand the implications of why diabetes and hypertension leads to kidney failure, or they don't have the resources to overcome diabetes and hypertension, or they don't know how to avoid being diagnosed with those comorbidities. It's difficult. And then, yeah, it's hard. It's multi-layered. I think about this like an onion, right? There's so many layers that we can peel back. For me, the way that I look at it is education is key. If you don't have the the education, if you don't know about chronic kidney disease, how to prevent it, how to manage it, it makes it even more difficult when you're trying to navigate the transplant system. So yeah, there are communities out there, there's underserved communities out there that do face barriers when it comes to transplantation. And at the National Kidney Foundation, that is something that we are hyper-focused on and we want to fix it so that everyone has access to transplantation. Right now, that is not the case. Yes, thank you for that. And I'll I'll add on to that, that we are also working on a bit of legislation. It's not quite ripe yet. We're still crossing T's and dotting I's that is going to get at some of the underlying reasons why some people are not able to access transplant. And that's everything from Um, You know, a transplant navigator to help explain the complicated system, how everything works, why you have to do these tests, why your numbers have to be a certain way, Um, everything to, you know, dental care. You have to get a clean bill of health from a dentist before you can undergo your transplant. You have to um, have transportation to and from all of your transplant appointments plus to the transplant center because that call from a deceased donor could come in at any time and you have to be able to get there. What about child care, elder care? If you don't have someone to take care of the people who rely on you while you are recovering from your transplant, that's going to be a problem. So we are looking at all of these things that make it hard for patients to successfully obtain their transplant and, and you know, see if we can do something about it legislatively. Um, so let's go back a little. There, there's, there, there are a lot of statistics of, uh, of what goes on in the transplant system, and, and I think some people will, will find them to be very helpful. So can we talk a little bit about how many kidney transplants happen every year? How does that compare to the size of the wait list? And what is the average wait time? I know it can differ. Some states, as you mentioned, are really, really long. Some states are really, really short. If you have a living organ donor, that totally changes the game. Um, but let, let's talk about some statistics. Yeah, so as of today, there are about 106,000 people on the transplant waiting list. 90,000 of those people are awaiting a kidney transplant. In 2021, there were nearly 24,700 kidney transplants, but you think about the fact that there's 90,000 people waiting for transplants, and while it was a record-breaking year for transplants last year, it just 
it's not enough to save the people on the waiting list. As I mentioned, depending on where you live in the United States, your wait time can be a couple of years or it can be close to a decade. It just depends on the population size of where a person lives in the U.S. And unfortunately, my understanding is that the average survival time on dialysis is not a decade. So we are talking about people on dialysis running out of time because while dialysis will keep you alive, it doesn't necessarily keep you healthy. It is really hard on the body. And the longer you spend on dialysis, the harder it can be to be healthy enough to qualify for your transplant. That is absolutely true, Lauren. And I think that is exactly the reason why at the National Kidney Foundation, we are committed to increasing education around living donation. We are focused on legislation that promotes assistance for living donors, committed to just powering people and and making sure that they're okay and have the resources to ask for help uh, when it comes to living donation. And, And that is what our Big Ask, Big Give program is all about. It's about empowering people to ask for what they need to get through the process. And right, and, and people may not be able to donate a kidney, but they may be there to help with transportation to the transplant center. They may be there to help cook meals, but we, again, we just wanna empower people and give them a voice and a platform to be able to um, share their need in hopes of being heard and then ultimately being transplanted. Great, thank you for that. And I said, we're not gonna get too deep in, in, into um some of the other issues surrounding transplants. So I think we've done a pretty good overview. There's just one major issue that is particularly important to NKF that I wanted to include just an overview on. So can you talk a little bit about the situation of kidney discards? This is an issue that NKF has been very focused on. And as we were just talking about, you know, 12 people die every day waiting for their kidney. So the fact that a kidney that has been donated is not making it into a body is is really horrific. So can you tell us just a little bit about what's involved with that? Yes. So it's a complicated issue, and I'm going to just try to make it easy to understand. Transplant centers are tasked with recovering as many deceased organs as possible. And when they do that, the hope is that transplant centers will then take these organs and transplant them into patients that are in need. That is not always the case. Sometimes kidneys are discarded because they are not clinically appropriate. But there are organs that may be maybe not the best organ, but it's still a good enough organ for someone to receive um, to come off of dialysis but it's a B plus organ. It's a B plus organ. And that's fine. If you're someone that's been on dialysis for eight years, you're probably going to take that B plus organ because you don't want to be on dialysis anymore. We are hoping to create policy that incentivizes transplant surgeons, transplant centers to take these riskier organs. We want to make sure that the agencies that oversee the organ donation and transplant system recognizes that transplant centers need the resources to be able to care for patients 
who are willing to accept um, the B plus organ, as you say, Lauren. And at this point, our system does not incentivize transplant centers to take on riskier organs. For example, um, a lot for many years, transplant centers were measured by a metric, which is or was the one-year graft survival metric. And if you're transplanting a B plus or even a C organ, you know, there could be the probability that that graft doesn't last a year, but it does get a patient off of dialysis for nine months, 10 months. And, um, you know, that's a deterrent for transplant centers to want to take on um, that risky organ. They don't want to be penalized. And I think that transplant centers are, you know, these are really smart individuals, surgeons, and, and transplant administrators, the whole team, but they also know what they're up against. If they are transplanting riskier patients, there could be some detrimental implications for taking on, on these organs. So at the National Kidney Foundation, we are focused on policy initiatives that would better incentivize transplant centers from a metric standpoint and a financial standpoint to take on higher risk um, cases. And it's also about, you know, patient involvement, right? Because not every organ is right for every patient. Absolutely. But as you said, it kind of depends on that patient's goals. Like what if that patient's been on dialysis for, as you said, eight years, and all they really want to do is go to their daughter's wedding. And after that, if they end up back on dialysis, so be it but they got nine good months. And that might not be right for everyone. Maybe maybe someone's like, no, I'm not going to go through surgery. That's not good enough for me. But for someone, it might be. And it, from my perspective, it's about, is that patient being consulted? Is that patient having a say in what their ultimate goals are? And can we help the transplant system be a little more patient-centric? Yes. And I'm so happy that you brought that up, Lauren, because yes, that is something that we think of all the time. It is one of our top policy priorities. Patient-centeredness is essential. Patients should be able to become active participants in their health care. Do we want transplant centers waking patients up at three in the morning to let them know that there's a kidney offer for them and they're going to decline it for whatever reason. We don't want that. But what we do want is for transplant centers to consider their patients when they are accepting and or declining organs. And at some point, including their patients in these conversations, checking in with them monthly or biannually or annually to say, hey, the last time we spoke, you said that you were okay taking a B plus organ. Is that still the case? Um, you know, just checking in with them again to see what their values are, what they're looking for when it comes to their health care, making sure that there is a collaborative effort to facilitate whatever the quality of life um, standards are for their patient. And, you know, Transplant centers want to see patients transplanted longer than nine months. We all understand that. This is just all anecdotal. We just are trying to communicate that if someone has been on dialysis for a really long time, even if they come off dialysis for a year, there is some meaning for those patients. And I can say that as someone that's received a kidney transplant. 
Well, Morgan, thank you so much for sharing not only your your professional perspective, but also your personal perspective as someone who has lived this. Uh, and not only have you lived it yourself, but you've helped so many other people um, through your time in, in the transplant, on the front lines of transplant, and now with us here um, at the National Kidney Foundation. So we are so thrilled that you are now on our team uh, and working for all patients uh, to improve access to transplant. Uh, I'll let you have uh, a closing word. Thank you so much, Lauren. No, I, I'm so excited to be at the National Kidney Foundation working in this role. I am truly humbled to be doing this work. It is very meaningful to me. I am very passionate about organ donation and transplantation, and I am honored to work for an organization that values the patient voice and does everything that they can to amplify advocacy. Anyway, thank you so much. And, you know, I, again, very, very privileged to be working with the National Kidney Foundation and talking to you today, Lauren. Thank you. And thank you to everyone that's listened to us today. Please let us know what you think by emailing policypodcast at kidney.org. That's policypodcast, one word, at kidney.org. And I hope you'll stick around for future episodes. Uh, we plan to dig into chronic kidney disease, kidney failure, dialysis, transplantation, and health disparities, among other topics. If you're looking for additional information on kidney health and kidney policy, feel free to check out our website at www.kidney.org. And thanks for listening.